Welcome to Kaya, the college and young adult ministry of Midtown Baptist Temple, a ministry seeking to pursue a deeper faith in Jesus Christ through God's Word, fellowship, and prayer. My name is Miles. For those of you who don't know me, uh, my beautiful wife is in Kidtown, so she couldn't be here with us this morning. Um, but as you can tell, there, there's lots of changes coming, right? Uh, we're really, really excited for, for what God's doing. Uh, we're excited to be a part of it. Uh, there, there's a team that's uprooting their lives and trusting God to move halfway across the world for the sake of souls, right? And so uh, in light of these changes, in light of transitions in ministry, uh, I know I can speak on behalf of myself. Uh, I know I can speak on behalf of the, the team that's going to Vietnam. Uh, but we covet your prayers. Uh, I believe with all my heart uh, that, that our God, he, he hears our prayers. And, and everything that the Bible tells me, everything uh, that I've experienced would lead me to believe uh, that he doesn't just hear them, but he answers our prayers, right? And the Bible tells us in James chapter 5 that the effectual fervent prayer of the righteous man, it availeth much. And so this is a petition for, for you all to pray for us. We need it, you know. Uh, I'm trusting God for, for strength. Man, I, I need you to pray for, for strength for me. I need you to pray for, for wisdom, for, for discernment and direction, for integrity, uh, for God to continue the work that he's doing through this ministry and the Friends of International. Uh, we need him just to continue what he's doing. Uh, the, the Apostle Paul, uh, he's, he's the prototype, right? Uh, he is basically in, in every way the example of what it means to live out the Christian life. And one of the things that I really admire about Paul uh, is his prayer life, right? This is a man uh, that, that has just a beautiful and incredible example of what it means for, for, for us to, to pursue the Lord in prayer. And we see this as he's writing just through his epistles, right? Uh, we can turn to, to Romans chapter 1 and verse 9 and see that without ceasing, he makes mention of, of this church at Rome in his prayers, right? Without ceasing, he's always making mention of them in his prayers. And in chapter 10, verse 1, we see Paul's heart for the Jews. He says that his heart's desire and his prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. This man, he, he's so burdened for, for his kinsmen, for his brethren, is what he calls them. In Ephesians 1, verse 16, it says that he ceases not to give thanks. Man, he's so thankful for this church at Ephesus, right? And he makes mention of them in his prayers. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 9, it says, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, man, man since the day we heard it, we do not cease to pray for you and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will. Man, I need people to pray for me like that. With the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding. And in 2 Timothy chapter 1, and this is a little different, right? Uh, all the verses I've said so far are Paul writing to these different churches, to these local churches. In 2 Timothy, uh, we see this beautiful letter to Timothy, uh, which is an individual. And, and Timothy, he's more than just a faithful man. To, to Paul, Timothy is a son. He, he sees Timothy as, as a son in the faith, and he loves him so much. And in chapter one, he says that he thanks God 
whom I serve from my forefather with pure conscience, and that without ceasing I have remembrance of thee in my prayers night and day. Man, anybody that's an active discipler, anybody that, that's ever discipled anybody in here, that's how we ought to pray for the people that are under us in ministry. Without ceasing, night and day, he, make, he has remembrance of his son in the faith, right? And, and so Paul, as we can see, he's constantly interceding on behalf of others, right? This man, he's just, he's a baller, right? He, he's got this incredible prayer life that, that we ought to take note of. Uh, and what I love so much, what's equally as impressive as his prayer life, is the fact that he's actually constantly petitioning others to pray for him as well. Right? He's not just praying for other people, but we see over and over again that he's instructing the churches and individuals to pray for him. Not just to pray for him, but he's telling them how they can pray for him, specifically his needs. In Romans 15, verse 30, he says, Now I beseech you, right? You can see the urgency. I beseech you for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake and for the love of the Spirit that you strive together with me in your prayers to God for me, right? In Ephesians 6, 18 through 20, this is something that, a passage that we're all familiar with, right? Praying always with prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with perseverance and supplication for all saints. And so we see that the general prayer, this is how we're supposed to pray for all saints. But then he gets specific. He says, and for me, hold up, for, for me, that utterance may be given to me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. That's how you ought to pray for me specifically, right? In 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 1, finally, my brethren, pray for us. Finally, my brethren, pray for us. Intercede on our behalf that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified, even as it is with you. And these are just a few examples. And I begin with all this to say that, that we ought to be a ministry identified by intercessory prayer, by these prayers of intercession for others, right? We, we ought to call out to the Lord on behalf of others. We ought to be like Paul. We, we ought to be like our Lord Jesus Christ, whoever lives to, to, to make intercessions for us at the right hand of the Father. And as we're being conformed to the image of Christ, we ought to adopt his heart. That's just completely broken for others and crying out to the Lord on their behalf. And so today we're going to camp out uh, in Genesis chapter 18, verses 20 through 33. And so if you've got a Bible, uh, start turning there with me. This is going to be a good time. We're going to trust God to continue to grow us and to cultivate in us a heart of prayer. And that we would learn to intercede on behalf of the lost. And so Michael, if you wouldn't mind coming up, I'm just going to have Michael read the passage out loud for us. And the Lord said, because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous, I will go down now and see whether they have done altogether according to the cry of it, which has come unto me, and if not, I will know. And the men turned their faces from thence and went toward Sodom, but Abraham stood yet before the Lord. And Abraham drew near and said, 
wilt thou also destroy the righteous with the wicked? Peradventure there be fifty righteous within the city, wilt thou also destroy and not spare the place for the fifty righteous that are therein? That be far from thee to do after this manner, to slay the righteous with the wicked, and that the righteous should be as the wicked, that be far from thee, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? And the Lord said, If I find in Sodom fifty righteous within the city, then I will spare all the place for their sakes. And Abraham answered and said, Behold, now I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord, which am but dust and ashes. Peradventure there shall lack five of the fifty righteous. Wilt thou destroy all the city for the lack of five? And he said, If I find there forty and five, I will not destroy it. And he spoke unto him yet again and said, Peradventure there shall be forty found there. And he said, I will not do it for forty's sake. And when he said unto him, O let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak. Peradventure there shall thirty be found there. And he said, I will not do it if I find thirty there. And he said, Behold now, I have taken upon me to speak unto the Lord. Peradventure there shall be twenty found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for twenty's sake. And he said, O let not the Lord be angry, and I will speak yet but this once. Peradventure ten shall be found there. And he said, I will not destroy it for ten's sake. And the Lord went his way as soon as he had left communing with Abraham, and Abraham returned into his place. Lord, we thank you for uh, just the time uh, to dig into your word uh, and for this beautiful passage and for Abraham's heart, Lord. And we pray uh, that we would gain this heart, uh, that we'd be desperate uh, to, to intercede on behalf of, of, of the wicked, you know, Lord, that you'd bend your ear to us, Lord, that we'd align our, our hearts with your will, that we'd love people and be full of compassion, Lord. Uh, help us to, to hear and to receive your word. But Lord, help us to, to, to change our lives, Lord, uh, that we'd prioritize communication with you. Uh, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. <clears throat> it's a heavy passage, isn't it? It's a beautiful passage. Um, as always, let's start by establishing uh, just a little bit of background. Uh, in Genesis chapter 12, uh, we see um, God calling Abram, right? Uh, Abram, at this time, he's living uh, in, Eric calls it Mesopotamia, but it's Mesopotamia. Like, okay, so, so he's in the era of the Chaldees, right? And uh, so God's calling Abraham to separate himself uh, from, from his father's house, from his kindred, uh, and from this land. And so by faith, we see Abraham follow the Lord, right? He, he, he follows him to this place that he's going to show him. And, and along the way, we see uh, Abraham make a few lapses uh, in, in his decision, Right? Uh, he has a few doubts uh, of the things that God is calling him to. And, and the first thing that we see him do is he brings along Lot. Now, now Lot is his nephew, and we can see very clearly that Abraham, uh, he, he loves Lot. Uh, but Lot would be an individual from his father's house and from his kindred. And, and so he's supposed to separate himself from Lot, and instead he, he brings him with him. 
Uh, and the next thing is that upon entering into this land that God shows him, uh, a drought comes. And due to circumstances, it causes him to doubt God's word. And he leaves this place of blessing. And he ventures south. And it says that he goes down into Egypt. And for a lot of us that, that, that are studying the Bible, we see that, that Egypt is a picture of this world, right? Of, of this world system. And so he goes there. And eventually, by, by chapter 13, we see him repenting. Uh, by 13, he comes back to this land. Uh, by 13, we see him separate himself from Lot. And we see that Lot pitches his tent towards Sodom. And the Bible says that in Sodom, there were men that were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. That's how the Bible describes the city of Sodom. Wicked men that were sinners before the Lord exceedingly. And this is a big deal. Again, Abraham loves Lot as a little brother. And clearly we see that he feels protective and responsible for him. And so this separation would have been hard. And we see this love on display the very next chapter. In chapter 13, we see that, that Lot gets swept away as a captive of war. Right? There are these nine kings in war. And he just gets caught in the, in the midst of it. And he's taken as a captive. And so Abram, courageously, he leaps into action to, to save his nephew from captivity. And from here on out, we see Abram continue to walk in faith. And we see him receive these beautiful promises from the Lord. We see him enter into these beautiful covenants with the Lord. We see him obtain these beautiful blessings from the Lord. And Lot, he walks a different path, right? He inches closer and closer towards wickedness, where initially he just set his tent towards the direction of Sodom. The, the next thing we, we see is that he's dwelling in Sodom. And he's found at the gates of the city. And this ought to be a sobering reminder for us to consider the direction that we're headed. To consider the direction that we're headed. And so our passage today, it begins on the heels of this. Abraham had just spent time with the Lord uh, and two messengers, and, and he was an incredible host to them, right? Uh, and it was a sweet time of fellowship. God reminded him of the promises that he made him, that he would have a son. And so this would have been a very, very sweet time. And, and, and at the very beginning of the passage that we read, it says that Abram stood yet before the Lord, and Abram drew near and said. And so this is an incredibly simple passage. And yet I wonder how many of us would be willing to stand before the Lord and to boldly and to desperately plea on behalf of others, as Abraham's doing in this passage. Abraham stood between God and a wicked city, begging and bartering with God for their salvation. And we as a ministry have a lot to learn from this passage about prayer, about intercession, about a desperate heart for the lost. And so before we dive in, the, the key point number one is that compassion fuels prayers of intercession. Compassion fuels prayers of intercession. I want you to see that, that Abram's pleading to the Lord is born out of a love and a burden for his nephew. His pleading, his burden, it's born out of a love for his nephew. And I'm going to open up a window on this idea for you. In Genesis chapter 11, uh, we see 
uh, kind of the, the lineage, a little bit of background about Abraham and his family. And we're introduced to Haran. Now, Haran, he is uh, Abram's brother, and he would be Lot's father. And in chapter 11, we see that Haran passes away, right? And, and we can assume that there's no details on how he died, but we can assume it was a tragic death because the Bible tells us that he passed away even before his father, right? And this is a difficult thing. Uh, if anybody of you have experienced the, the loss of a loved one, I, I don't know if anybody, I know some of us here have, uh, but it's probably, I mean, it's definitely the hardest thing that I've ever had to personally go through in my life, right? To experience the, the loss of a loved one. It's so difficult. And yet one of the sweet things that comes out of it is this fellowship and this depth of friendship uh, with those that, that are grieving together can experience, right? Uh, for, for me, uh, I lost a, a really dear friend, someone that was like a little brother to me uh, a couple years ago uh, due to gun violence. And it was, it was horrific. Um, yeah, it was horrible. Uh, but it knitted my heart to my brother in, in a way that, that didn't exist prior to, right? Uh, us grieving together and leaning on each other and, and loving each other through the midst of it, it knitted our hearts together. I think about Brandon uh, and your relationship with John. Uh, and I, I know that there's a similar testimony there that through the loss of a loved one and, and in their grieving, man, it drew their hearts together uh, in a way that, man, so few of us have ever experienced. I think about the Powers family uh, and just the horrific loss that they've suffered this past year. And yet to, to see that sibling dynamic and relationship and the love that's there and how close of a bond that was there in the midst of that loss, it's, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. God can rally friends and family in an incredible way around loss. And so we see that same thing happening here in Genesis chapter 11. Terah is Abraham's father, uh, and he's Haran's father. And, and in chapter 11, we see that, that Terah, he brings Abraham and Lot in after this tragedy to dwell amongst him, right? And by the last verse in chapter 11, we see that Terah actually passes away as well. And so I just want you to see that the life that's being lived out together between Abraham and Lot. Abraham and Lot, they've gone through some incredible hardships together. And they would have had a bond and a care for each other that, again, few of us have ever experienced. Abraham, he loved Lot. He, he saw Lot as a little brother right? Almost like a son. And he would have felt incredibly protective of him. He would have felt responsible for him. Abraham was burdened for Lot. And these burdens, they, they, they brought Abraham to a desperate place before God. Abraham knew that Lot had death coming, right? Lot, he, he moved to Sodom. And so he deserved Sodom's fate. In Proverbs 13, verse 20, it says, He that walketh with the wise shall be wise, but a companion of fools shall be destroyed. A companion of fools shall be destroyed. And we see this compassion for one individual fueled Abraham's prayer to pacify God's wrath on an entire city, 
right? Abraham, he, was, he wasn't burdened for, for Sodom. He was burdened for Lot. And so his desperacy, his heart for this one individual led to prayers for an entire city. And I think about Andrew Ong and his preparation for Vietnam and his desperacy initially for a few Vietnamese souls, for them to know and to experience the love and the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. And his burden for these individuals, fast forward it a couple of years, and now, you know, his heart is for Vietnam for Christ, right? He's trusting God for an entire nation. What started with a few souls now is for an entire nation. I think about my grandmother, uh, she is a prayer warrior, and she prayed for my soul long before I knew I had one, right? Uh, and I believe with all my heart that my salvation is directly tied to her prayers. And, and one of the, the sweet things that few of you know is that my grandmother, uh, she prays for you guys regularly. Uh, many of you, she knows by name, and you guys couldn't pick her out of a lineup, you know? But she's desperate in prayer for you. She's, she's burdened for you. Because she loves me, but because she, she loves Christ. So, man, we, we ought to invest in our relationships in a way that draws us to pray for others. Spending time in this passage, uh, man, it, it's been tough. This passage has been one that I've been wrestling with for, for over a week. Me and Michael, we got to, to get together and retreat last weekend. And we got to, to kind of talk about this passage a little bit, and I was kind of sharing some of the things that God was showing me through it. Uh, but it's been a, a tough passage for me to wrestle with. Um, uh, yesterday, uh, I received uh, this message from my wife. It's on the screen. Oh, it's too small. You can't read it. I'll read it for you. She said yesterday in the morning, she said, you seem to, to have a lot on your mind this morning. And she said, I, want, I just wanted to let you know that I love you and I'm praying for God to provide time for you to feel prepared and at ease on Sunday. Uh, that, that's my, my wife. And so, you know, A, man, you need to pray for your husbands. Man, my wife, uh, she's a praying wife and I, I praise God for her. I'm so thankful. I don't deserve it at all. Uh, and so you, you want someone like that in your life. And B, she, she was right. I had so much on my mind this week, you know, I couldn't sit in this passage and not consider uh, the men that have left this ministry. Uh, the, the men that I've personally uh, lived life with, uh, invested in, loved, uh, poured hours in, in prayer, sweat, tears. The, the men that I've discipled, uh, that I've lost sleep over, that, that I've wept over. Uh, and have decided to, to, to pitch their tents towards Sodom and, and to walk away. Yeah. Uh, not to, to, to be broken in prayer for them uh, would, would be crazy. Uh, but, but the reality is that it's really easy to forget. It's, it's easier for me, you know, just to forget, to pretend like they were never among us, uh, to, to grow calloused. Uh, because it hurts. It, it hurts to know that someone was here, that they were counted among us and they left, and, and now they're doing Lord, Lord knows what. And, and so for me, I've personally invested time, love, energy into men that, that, that have pitched their tents towards Sodom, and it breaks my heart, and it's tough, and it's difficult, and it ought to hurt. It, it, it should hurt 
because it allows us and it produces in us a desperacy before the Lord for their souls, for others, that God would extend his mercy and his long suffering towards them and draw them back. And so these are the prayers that have filled my week. I have lots in my life and I love them so much. And what else can I do but pray for them? In Nehemiah chapter 1, verses 3 through 4, it says, And they said unto me that the, the remnant are left of the captivity there in the province, man, my eyes are all watery, are in great affliction and reproach. The wall of Jerusalem also is broken down, and the gates thereof are burned with fire. This is the state uh, of Israel. That, that Nehemiah receives a report of. And it says, And it came to pass, when I heard these words, that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And in Nehemiah chapter 1, Nehemiah, he learns about the terrible state of his kinsmen, of his brethren of Israel, and it literally broke him. His countenance was fallen, he mourned, he wept, he fasted, he prayed. And the prayer recorded in Nehemiah chapter 1, we don't have time to get into it, but it's a masterpiece. It's beautiful, right? And I want you to see that your heart, it's got to be broken. Is your heart broken? Is it burdened? You know, do you see people the way that Jesus sees them? Are you burdened like that? Do you see people the way that, that, that Paul sees them? Do you see people the way that, that Abraham saw Lot, the way that Nehemiah saw the nation of Israel? If you did, it would draw you on your knees and you couldn't help but pray. Where is our desperacy? Where is our fervency? As a ministry, we ought to be burdened for souls. It ought to break our heart. It ought to produce in us a fervency, a desperacy to cry out to the Lord, to barter on their behalf, right? And so how did Abraham pray? He's requesting of God to spare the wicked, the city of Sodom, for the sake of 50 righteous in the city. And as we continue in the passage, we see Abraham, like, just like the most baller haggler of all time, just working God down. Have you guys ever been to like an open air market? So I, I, I refuse, I can't go to an open air market with my mom because she sees it as a game and she just wants to win, right? And so she'll go up to a booth and she just starts haggling and she's good at it, y'all. She won't take no for an answer and she'll just work these guys down for pennies, for pennies. And this is what Abraham's doing. He, he's so desperate. He's haggling with the Lord, and he's working him down from, for the sake of 50 righteous souls, for the, for the sake of 50 righteous men, all the way down to 10 righteous, right? Lord, pacify your wrath on the city for sake of 10 righteous men. And I want to make sure that we take note of some key characteristics of Abraham's prayer here that we see in the passage. Key point number two is that we must petition to God based on his character and on his promises. We must petition God based on his character and on his promises. Here we find Abraham praying to God based on who God is, right? Abraham knows God. He knows that he won't consume the righteous with the, with the, he knows that he won't consume the, the wicked with the righteous. He knows that, that God will do right. He, he knows the testimony. He knows the story of Noah, right? 
He sees God as righteous. And so he verbalizes these aspects of God's character that he knows to be true. He presents this truth before the Lord, but he also allows this truth to shape his prayers. He starts with the truths and the characters of God, and he uses them to align his own will with God's will. And that's what prayer ought to be. It's not our will be done, it's his will be done. And so he uses the character, the things that he knows to be true, this word, and he takes these truths and these characters that he sees about God, and he uses them to align his prayer, his will with God's will. And he presents this truth before the Lord. In Exodus 32, verse 11 through 13, man, we've got so many incredible examples uh, of these petitions and prayer, of these intercessions in our Bible. And this is when, when Moses, he's begging God on behalf of Israel. He, he's coming down from the mountain and he sees Israel just completely given over to idolatry where they took all their gold and they melted it and, and they, they, they created this, this golden calf and are worshiping it. And in God's anger, he, it's kindled against the nation of Israel. And he's about done with them, Right? And verse 11 says that Moses besought the Lord his God and said, Lord, why doth this wrath wax hot against the people, which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say, for mischief did he bring them out to slay them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from thy fierce wrath and repent of this evil against thy people. Remember, God, remember Abraham and Isaac, the promises that you gave to them, and Israel, thy servants, to whom thou, thou swearest by thine own self, and said unto them, I will multiply thy seed as the stars of heaven, and all this land that I have spoken of will I give unto your seed, and they shall inherit it forever." And they shall inherit forever. And so we see Moses' heart for the people, but we see his heart for God, right? We see his heart for God, that his reputation wouldn't be tarnished, that the promises to, to past generations would, would be kept. And so he reminds God of his promises and his prayer of intercession for, for the people of Israel. And so we ought to, as well, allow the word of God to shape our prayers, the things that we read about him and his character, we ought to allow it to align our will with that and to pray these things back to the Lord, that our prayers be according to his will, for his reputation, for his glory, that his name would be magnified amongst the nations, right? Key point number three, we must humble ourselves in prayer. We must humble ourselves in prayer. One of the things that, that Pastor Sam Miles always says is that the only way up is down. The only way up is down is by us humbling ourselves before the Lord, acknowledging who we are in the midst of a holy and a righteous and a just God. And we see Abraham do this. He confesses to the Lord that he's but dust and ashes. Who am I, Lord, peradventure? Right? He's humbling himself before the Lord in this, his communication. He's desperate, but he's humble. And this is proper worship. And in Hebrews 4, verse 16, we see the access that we have to God. It says, let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, 
that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. That's the access that we have to, this, to, to our God, to, to the Lord. We've got direct access to him, and it's beautiful. It's beautiful. We can come boldly before his throne of grace because the atonement of Jesus Christ. But this doesn't mean that we can come proudly or casually before him. Right? We get to approach God as a friend. You know, uh, I was looking over just the, the discipleship lesson on prayer. And it talks about how we, like, like, like Moses uh, in Exodus, get to, to come before God as a friend. How Moses spoke face to face with the Lord. And man, we get to do that. And it's precious. But also, we ought to approach him in humility, in reverence, in respect, acknowledging who he is. In Isaiah chapter 6, we, we get uh, a, a bigger understanding of what the throne room of God looks like. This is the place that we get to, to come boldly into, right? And to, to petition before the Lord. Like, man, that's cool. We get to do this and we're seated together, to, together in heavenly places. And we get to, to come boldly into the throne room. And, and we can throw that around real casually. But in Isaiah chapter 6, we, we, we start to understand what this throne room is like. And how holy and how incredible and, and, and how... Man, man, we don't deserve any place there, right? Uh, this is what, what Sam actually, he, he presented to, to us uh, this past Tuesday. And so if you weren't there, you want to check out that message. You want to check out that message. But it says that in chapter 6, verse 1, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings, with twain covered in his face, twain covered his feet, and with twain did he, uh, he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me. For I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King of the Lord of hosts. Right? Isaiah recognizes who he is before this God. Man, I'm a man of unclean lips. I have no place. I have no right to be before him. Right? There's awe. There's reverence. There's an understanding of who he is before this almighty God. In Job 38, verse 4, it says, Where wast thou when I laid the foundations of the earth? This is God's talking to Job. Declare if thou hast understanding. And in verse 5, he said, Who hath laid the measure thereof, if thou knowest, or who hath stretched the line upon it? Whereupon are the foundations thereof fastened, or who laid the cornerstone thereof, when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for glory? We ought to approach the throne with reverence and respect, with humility lowing and humbling ourselves, because he is God and we are but dust and ashes. We shouldn't demand anything of God, but let our requests be known unto him. Make our request be made known unto him. Key point number four, we must persist in prayer. I was talking to, to Brandon about this yesterday. Uh, and one of the things that he said is that we give up way too easy. You know that? We, we as individuals, as a ministry, we give up way too easy. 
Man, man we ought to have a persistent prayer life that, that begs of the Lord over and over again. But man, we, we throw up our one prayer and we're done. Oh, I guess he didn't answer that. What? No, we, we, we ought to, to persist in prayer. If we look through the scripture, we find many examples of persistent prayer. David fasted and prayed all night for his child to live in 1 Samuel chapter 12. Oh man, that, that guy, he was desperate. He was burdened. God, unless you move, he was desperately pleading and begging the Lord all night. The guy, he, he couldn't eat. He couldn't sleep. He spent his, just the night on his knees praying. Paul prayed numerous times to God before rem- to, just to remove the, this thorn of the flesh. He says he saw him thrice, right? He saw him three times in 2 Corinthians. Samuel played all night over Saul's disobedience. Jacob wrestled all night with the Lord until he received a blessing. And we pray our, our, our one prayer and then we're done. Oh, I guess he didn't answer that. No. So turn to me with, with Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. Man, we, we ought to have a persistent prayer life. We learn a lot about prayer in Luke chapter 18. Oh yeah, if you guys didn't notice, the background is actually a picture, it's very faint, of prayer after prayer. And so there are individuals in this ministry uh, that Tuesday nights after the prayer service, they go to the upper room, which is a beautiful picture, by the way. But they go to the upper room and they seek and they beg the Lord on behalf of souls, right? Desperate for God to, 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 to work to to draw people nigh into Christ. Uh, I've been able to spend some time with with Andrew over the past month, and uh, he was telling me the story uh, of when Kaya started. So, you know, a lot of you came into Kaya and the ministries looked like this. It wasn't always like this. Uh, The the ministry of Kaya was less than than 10 people initially. It was a very small work, Uh, and they were desperate for God to do a work. And it looked, man, if it wasn't for God, nothing was going to happen, right? And so it got to a place where, where Andrew Ong and Dan Renault were so desperate for God to do a work that they'd meet, they'd go up to the balconies, and they'd meet, and, and they'd sit on their knees, desperate for God, begging of him just to, to add souls. And man, the Lord answered that prayer. And, and now we can see the fruit of this ministry that extends beyond this room. We've got people serving in other parts of the church. We've got people serving in places like Boston, in places like Tampa, places like Lee Summit now. God has honored those prayers. And so we ought to, to desperately and persistently beg the Lord, right? You guys are in Luke chapter 18. In verse 1 it says, And he spake a parable unto them to this end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. So stop there, pause, take note, right? Take note. Men ought always to pray and not to faint, saying there was in a city a judge which feared not God. So this guy, he's not even religious. He's not even a holy or righteous or just person. He feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city. And she came unto him, saying, Avenge me of mine adversary. And he would not for a while. For, for a while he wouldn't. But this lady, man, she was persistent, right? She would not give in. And he said, but afterwards, he said within himself, though I fear not God, nor regard man, yet because this widow troubleth me, because she's persistent, because she keeps knocking, I will avenge her, 
lest by her continual coming she weary me. And the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge saith, and shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him, though he bear long with them. Right? So, so, so we ought not to, to faint in our prayers. We ought to be persistent. Notice back in Genesis how Abraham negotiated with God in prayer. It's fervency, it's desperation, uh, it's persistence in prayer. He knows that God must help. And so from 50 righteous, Abraham got God to promise to spare the city for, for, for Lot's sake. And then he'd continue to work him down. And he'd say, hey, you know, it's, it's 50. I mean, if there's just five less, surely you, you wouldn't, you know, pour out your wrath on this city. And so God agreed to 45. And he say, well, what about 40? And God's like, okay, 40. And he says, well, we're already at 40. Well, I mean, what if they're 30, you know? And by this time, I mean, when I'm reading this, I'm starting to think, man, when is Abraham going to quit? <laughs> you know, 30, like 50, to th- that's pretty good. Like if I'm a bartering man, I'm, you know, that's like halfway. Like that's, that's good, but this guy, he, he won't quit by 30, right? You're thinking, when is Abraham going to quit? And, and you're also thinking, when is God going to say, enough, Abraham? Enough. Quit pleading on behalf of the wicked. It's just crazy at this point, Abraham. And he never gets there. God, God never says, hey, stop pleading on behalf of the wicked, does he? No. When is God going to say, no, Abraham? My grace, it actually won't extend that far. He doesn't get there, does he? What does he do? The Lord allows Abraham to explore the depths of his mercy, the depths of his grace. Ten righteous, right? Twenty righteous, ten righteous. And eventually, Abraham stops pleading before the Lord. Abraham, he's pacified, right? He's at peace that God will do what is right. He's at peace that God will do what is right. And so I want you to see this, that God allows Abraham to explore the depths of his mercy, the depths of his grace, right? He never asks Abraham to stop pleading on behalf of the wicked. He continually meets him there. God knew the desires of Abraham's heart, and he met him there. And we see that Lot was saved, that that Lot was saved, And so we ought to pray like this. We ought to have a persistent prayer life that's seeking the Lord on behalf of the wicked. In 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 23, man, Samuel, he's just this awesome man of God. He says, moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. But I will teach you the good and the right way. And so in, in this passage, Samuel is saying, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. And with this, we see that he viewed these intercessory prayers for Israel as a part of his priestly duties, as a part of his priestly obligations. And as New Testament believers, as members of, of this holy, as members of, of this royal priesthood of believers, Man, it's our obligation to pray for others as well. We get to partake in this work. One of the cool things, one of the distinctive characteristics about being a priest is that you have direct access to God. 
You know that? We've got direct access to God where we can make our prayers, where we can make sacrifices to him, right? And so we ought to view it as an obligation, as an obligation, right? That, that we shouldn't sin by, by ceasing to pray for others. We have direct access to the throne room of God. So let's use it. Uh, Ian Bounds uh, is a, a mighty scholar, uh, a mighty Christian. Uh, he, he's wrote uh, some profound words uh, just on the theme of prayer. And he says that, that talking to men for God is a great thing, but talking to God for men is greater still. Talking to, to men for God is a great thing, but, but talking to God for men is greater still. And so this ought to be lived out in our lives. Key point, from, key point number five <clears throat> is that we must trust God with the outcome. That's the tough part. We must trust God with the outcome. Right? We see Abraham explore the, the depths of God's grace, right? And, and he gets to rest there, and it says that he returns. Uh, he returns. He doesn't follow the, you know, the, these men down to Sodom to, to see what the fate of the city is. It says that he returns home. He just trusts God with the outcomes, right? So we must boldly stand before the Lord. Uh, we must grow our heart and compassion for others. We must pray according to God's character, according to his will. We must humble ourselves. We must be a ministry that's defined by persistent prayer. Uh, but before we close, I just want to point out one thing. It's interesting in verse 17. It says, this is God speaking just amongst his congregation. It's God to others and, and, and Abraham. And he says, shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? Shall I, shall I hide from Abraham that thing which I do? Right? And God, he doesn't choose to hide this thing. He, he walks with Abraham. He communes, he fellowships with Abraham. And so he shares with Abraham, man, his plans. He doesn't hold any secrets back. And he opens up and he shares with Abraham what's going to happen. Right? He, he shares Sodom's impending judgment. And I believe with all my heart that he shares this to Abraham for a reason, that Abraham would make a case for Lot, right? Why else would he share this info with him? He, he shares it hoping that Abraham's going to make a case for Lot, that he's going to get desperate, that he's going to beg on behalf of his brother, right? And he's extended to us the same opportunity. He's extended to us the same opportunity, so who ought we to pray for that God might extend his mercy, his long suffering, that he might pacify his wrath, that they might know him? Who are the lots in your life that, that should be here and have pitched their tents towards Sodom? Who are the wicked that desperately need to know Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior? Right? We ought to be a ministry that's desperate. Once we've experienced the, the grace of God on our life, once we've walked with him, 
right? Once we know him intimately and know his character and have tasted, man, man, and seen, that ought to produce in us a desperacy and a fervency for others. And so I began this message by petitioning you all to to pray for me, to to pray for the team that's leaving for Vietnam. Uh, But there are a lot of people that are amongst us that should be. And so I also petition you to consider, man, man, who are the people that should be here that aren't? Let's pray for them. We can't forget them, right? And sometimes it's easier just to wipe them out of our memory. But man, we we ought to be desperate for for the Lord to have mercy on them. We we ought to be desperate for the Lord to draw the the lost world to see who Jesus Christ is. And so I'm going to close in prayer. Uh, But this is a call for, for all of us Man, to, to, to deepen our devotion to the Lord in communication. To be a people that are burdened and that seek the Lord on behalf of others. Lord, we thank you so much. We thank you so much for the, for the mercy that you've extended to us. We thank you so much for your grace and your long suffering. And Lord, we are desperate for you to continue to get glory out of our lives, for you to continue to draw people to yourself. And so, Lord, grow us as a household of prayer. Lord, grow us in, in our compassion and our brokenhearted for others, Lord, that you might be glorified, that your name might be exalted. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. that today's message encouraged you to follow Christ in his word. For more information about Kaya, for service times and information about our disciple-making ministry, please visit our website at caya.live.